Welcome to Watershed's June podcast. My name's Mark Cosgrove and I'm the head of programme here at Watershed. This month, we present a season of films and events, Let the Games Begin, the first public elements in our partnership with Relays. Relays is a series of linked cultural and sporting opportunities across the southwest, which marks one of the region's contributions to the forthcoming 2012 Olympiad in London. Watershed is one of three venues contributing cultural activity to the Relays Cultural Olympiad celebrations, the others being the Jurassic Coastline in Dorset and the Works Dance Company in Cornwall. Our aim here at Watershed over the coming years is to explore the connections and overlaps between the worlds of sport and culture and bring together audiences across these two worlds. This will be largely through screenings, events and festivals such as Let the Games Begin, but also online through the website watershed.co.uk forward slash relays. In June we'll be screening a range of work from the hugely entertaining Ken Loach film Looking for Eric, which features the philosophising footballing icon Eric Cantona, to documentaries on Cuban boxers, training of young Chinese gymnasts and fictional and documentary portraits of, respectively, footballing legend Brian Clough and controversial boxer Mike Tyson. I am joined today by football expert and author David Goldblatt, whose recently published book, The Ball is Round, A Global History of Soccer, was described by the Guardian newspaper as having more food for thought in the few pages of the conclusion than in a hundred ghost-written biographies of rich 20-somethings. Quite simply, The Ball is Round takes football history to a new level. David has been working with Watershed over the past few years, developing the programming around sport and culture, and will be introducing some of the screenings in the season. David, let's start with football. Um, two films that I mentioned that were screening are Damned United and Looking for Eric, Brian Clough and Eric Cantona. What, what's the enduring popular appeal of these two figures? Well, I think it's in part they're just their individuality and the fact that they, both in what they said and how they acted, they stood out from the otherwise anodyne masses that are football commentators and footballers and managers um, who know their lines all too well. And these two guys spoke oddly sometimes, but spoke from the heart. So, you know, Eric Cantona, rather than offering the usual sort of cliches, tended to throw the press strange aphorisms and words and thoughts not normally associated with a football player. While Brian Clough offered a kind of brash anti-authoritarianism and, you know, working-class spontaneity in his humour that were pretty unique. But do they deliver on the field in football? I mean, they're great figures and entertaining as well. I mean, Brian Clough, I remember seeing pictures of him when, you know, he indeed went on the pitch when the pitch was being invaded and clipped a fan round the ear. Canton is infamous now for that kung fu kick that he did. So there's a kind of infamy around these people, but did they deliver on the football pitch? Oh, no question. And I think those acts are not unconnected with their ability to perform football-wise. I mean, Clough, as a player, had a scintillating career ahead of him. He scored an enormous number of goals for Sunderland. He played a couple of times for England. He was a model professional with considerable talent, struck down by a terrible injury. And his club dead him very badly, no insurance, no pension, basically thrown on the scrap heap as a player. Uh, and then as a manager, I mean, his record is, well, it's almost unrepeatable. I mean, not only performing miracles at a lower league club like Hartlepool, which he took virtually, you know, by the scruff of the neck and dragged up the league. But then to win the league with a small provincial club like Derby in the early 1970s, exceptional. But most amazing of all is to win the European Cup back to back 
and how few clubs have managed that, and to doing it with Nottingham Forest. Again, a small provincial club without a huge income stream, without kind of, you know, star players brought in on a budget, and he did it twice and he did it with aplomb. Eric Cantona stamped his authority and his playing style on the Manchester United that won the first few Premier Leagues in the 1990s and in fact shaped our whole sense of what the Premier League was about which was bringing together the kind of hustle and bustle and blood and thunder of English football with the kind of brains and skills uh, available on the continent and he married those two perfectly and again did it with extraordinary personal elan so I think in both cases their footballing achievements are simply without question and what they were able to do connects to the sort of personalities that they had. There's a great um, moment in Looking for Eric, which, you know, is about a postman in Manchester who's in his 50s who's having various family crises. He's a big Eric Cantona fan, and uh, in his room he's got all the images of Eric. He says, what would you do, Eric? And, of course, you know, the great moment in the film is Eric Cantona appears and, you know, begins to sort of advise the postman Eric about his life. But the, the postman Eric is asking Cantona, what was your greatest moment in the pitch? He lists the goals, and of course the great thing in the film is you get to see the goals replayed back to you. Cantona keeps on saying, no, no, no. He said, well, what was it? What was, the, what was your greatest achievement on the field? And Cantona lists it as being a pass to Ryan Giggs, just outside the penalty area. Hits the ball with the side of his right foot, and it spins round. Giggs picks it up and scores a goal. I mean, that seems to be very Cantona in what you're saying about bringing that sort of finesse, that touch in the brains... But also a, a communality, you know, the importance of solidarity and collectivity. Football's a team game, and both Clough, with his kind of northeastern working class roots and old fashioned Labour Party politics, and Cantona, with his kind of French heritage of notions of solidarity and communality, they both bring that to the way they play football. It doesn't surprise me that Cantona, you know, saw his part in a great move as well as an act of individual great skill to be his kind of defining moment because when football's at its best, that's what it brings together. The brilliance of individuals with the kind of excitement of collective action. The thing about Damned United, um, going back to uh, Clough, it's adapted from David Peace's novel and it covers this period in Clough's career where he went to Leeds United, a, a team that had great um, animosity in his relationship. What was that about, do you think? Clough is a man driven by his demons, demons of all kinds, the demons of drink, the demons of his failure as a player, you know, the practical demons of money. And I think when the, he was out of a job, having lost his job at Derby, and the Leeds job came up, and it was somehow irresistible, I think, to him. The idea that he could go to the club and the institution that he loathed most for the kind of football that was played and the kind of people who ran it. And he, as uh, he would put it, Brian Howard Clough, could turn it round. I mean, I think that's the great tragedy, and he is a tragic figure at Leeds in the film and in the book. One person in the face of an institution, in the face of a collectivity, cannot, however great, turn it round. And he is undone, at that moment destroyed, though he rises again. So I think that's what the film is, a sort of study in tragedy of over-vaulting ambition, in a way, of Clough. That's really what it was about, that he thought he could top even that, he could mount even that challenge. And actually, you know, he was crushed by it. It is a great book. Is it a great film? It's very different from the book. I mean, it's worth saying with the book, David Peace described it as a portrait 
of Brian Clough rather than a photograph. And in both some of the details of the story and in much of the extraordinary inner narrative voice that tells the damned United, which is, you know, inside Brian Clough's head, he's taken quite a lot of liberties. And the family are not too happy with book or film. What I would say is that he has painted a portrait. He has shown us Clough's demons, his extraordinary complex psychology, in a way that most football biography never even gets anywhere close. It is perhaps the most dishonest genre of any that I can think of. Peace at least has given us some kind of taste of the emotional intensity of the sporting life, and the book as a consequence is extraordinary. I think the film is less dark a portrait of Brian Clough. Michael Sheen's performance at the level of mimicry is absolutely brilliant. And the attention to detail of dress and social context, for those who want a little bit of 1970s England social history, they're in for a feast. It's absolutely spot on, isn't it? Uh, I mean, you know, it, every detail is absolutely fantastic. So it's a great film in that regard. The story itself, how can you go wrong? I am not quite sure it has the kind of darkness and intensity of the book. But it's very hard, you know, the book is an interior monologue and David Peace's writing is really unbelievably good. So I think in a way they've made the right decision. You can't replicate that in a film. You've got to do something else. And I think in its own terms it's done it very well. Let's move away now from uh, the UK and football to Latin America. Two of the other films in the season are about sport in Latin America. Um, Sugar about baseball in the Dominican Republic and Sons of Cuba about boxing. And I don't really think about these countries as being big sporting nations, but quite clearly these films demonstrate that, for example, baseball is a huge sport in the Dominican Republic. Oh, baseball is everything in the Dominican Republic. I mean, it's worth noting 10% of foreign inflows of money into the Dominican Republic are through the baseball industry, because Major League Baseball, every single franchise, 30 of them, has now opened an academy scouting for and training the huge pool of baseball talent that's in the Dominican Republic. Sugar is a movie that takes us into this world of, you know, aspiration and hope for most young, poor Dominican boys. The way out is baseball. I mean, the other options are, you know, the trashy jobs in the tourist industry, and it's a very trashy tourist industry, you know, sort of walled communities and all of that in the DR, or it's working in, you know, Korean textile plants. So it's a pretty grim alternative. When I was in the Dominican Republic, the cliches are true. On every street, you will find boys and girls playing baseball. They may just be flicking plastic tops of bottles, which they do expertly, I might add, and hitting them with a piece of wood. Or they're clearing broken glass and old Coke cans off faded baseball diamonds on old bits of scrap earth in the middle of the city. Baseball is absolutely huge in the Dominican Republic. The Cubans, interestingly, took it there, not the Americans. They arrived through Cuban sugar mill owners who were thrown out of Cuba in the late 1890s and opened new sugar mills in various parts of the Dominican Republic. And they brought baseball with them, having brought it in the first place from the United States. So in the DR, baseball is huge. It's a matter of huge national pride. It's an increasingly important part of the economy. It's a vital form of social mobility. And it's worth noting it's got to the point in the United States where 40% of the minor leagues in baseball are Dominicans. So to put that in sort of British and football terms, imagine that 40% of all of the players in the championship and the lower two leagues of football came from Jamaica. 40%. It's a baseball factory in a way, the island for making baseball players. 
Cuba is more complex in the sense that they play more sports, but sport is a huge part of Cuban culture. Baseball, above all, is the game. If it were not for the uh, various embargoes and political issues between the United States and Cuba, the Cubans would be supplying just as many players to America. Fidel himself is meant to have had a rather mean curveball in his days as a pitcher, and Cuba continues in the amateur world of baseball to be the very leading force. Cuba also, you know, as uh, many communist societies have, has used sport as a kind of instrument of social control, social education, national inspiration, and so on. I mean, you know, basketball, women's volleyball is big. And then there's a long tradition of boxing, you know, from before the revolution as well. And there have been a lot of great Cuban boxers over the years and Cuban-Americans who've emigrated to the States. So sport in the Caribbean, you know, and once you get into the West Indies and the English speaking, of course, it's cricket, you know, which is absolutely central to notions of national identity. And then on mainland Latin America, you know, for the most part, football is king. But in all of these societies, whatever sport it is that really does it for them, it's become a central element of popular culture and national identity. Finally, in the season that we've got, let the games begin, I mean, do you think sports fans and film fans are going to get as much out of this season? There's an awful lot of pleasures for both sports and films fans, and one of the nice things about um, this year is that filmmakers are increasingly seeing the potential of sport to offer both a lens onto the social, economic and cultural structures from which those sports spring, as well as a generator of amazing narratives. Not merely the sport itself, but all the kind of complex human social interactions around it. I think, therefore, sport is being enriched by the talent and the brilliance of storytelling that is available in the film world, and the film world is being enriched by the amazing stories and the amazing human experiences that are global sport. So I hope for... uh, both sets of punters, there's something special at the film festival this year. Great. David Goldblatt, thanks very much. My pleasure. For more information on the screenings and events in the Let the Games Begin season, go to watershed.co.uk forward slash relays. That's all for this month and see you in July. <laughs>